Uh, blessed Christmas to all of you. Today we celebrate one of the two great feasts of the Christian year. Christmas, we know the pillars of the Christian calendar are Christmas and Easter. And of course, Easter is the center of our faith. This is the Church of the Resurrection. We celebrate the central fact of all history that God sent his only begotten Son who died for us and rose again that we could have eternal life. That central mystery is the mystery of Easter. So how does that tie to the other great mystery, which is the other great feast, which is Christmas? Well, to have Easter, there has to be an incarnation in a very special way. When we ask ourselves, why did God have to become human, it certainly wasn't to communicate with us. We have the reading from Hebrews today, which says, Long ago and many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. He spoke, as we know, through the angel of God. He spoke to our fathers. He spoke uh, through visions. Think of uh, David, Joseph, etc., Daniel. He spoke dreams, visions. God didn't need a better way to communicate. There was only one thing God cannot do. The all-powerful one, it is beyond even God's power. We know that in the Bible, the name tells us something fundamental about who someone is. And God's name is I Am. God is life itself. He cannot die. It's beyond God's power. God cannot die. God fundamentally had to become human to die for us. There was no other way. Everything else was possible. He had to take, as the, as the fathers told us, he took on our mortality so we could take on his immortality. So the connection between Christmas and Easter is Christmas, Christ becoming a real flesh and blood human being subject to death. Christmas is necessary. It makes Easter possible. This is why Jesus is in that dilemma in John's Gospel where he's telling his disciples he wants to pray, but he says, how can I pray? How can I ask the Father to have this pass when that's the whole reason I've come into the world? He said, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I've come to this hour. This is why when you look at the icons of the Eastern Church, the manger in which Jesus is laid always looks like a sepulcher, like a tomb. It reminds us he came expressly for the purpose of dying for us. So Christmas is the feast of the Incarnation. God actually became one of us. The second person, the Trinity, the Son of the Father beyond time and space, became an actual human being who was born of a very human mother, Mary, in a very specific time, about 2,000-plus years ago, in a very specific place, Bethlehem and Judea, an odd corner of the Mediterranean world by Roman view. John put this mystery beautifully in the first chapter when he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Not just dwelt amongst us, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What then is so special about Christmas? What's the special feel? What do we met? How do we, since they're so closely tied to Easter, what's fundamentally different about Christmas? Well, it's a theme, and we're told the prophecies of, of the Messiah coming. We're told, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is the one who is with us. 
And sometimes we have the impression that Jesus sort of was with us then, but he's not with us now. That he was human, but it was sort of like an internship, and he got better and has the job. Is Jesus is just as much a human being now as ever. This is why in Timothy it says, we have one interceding with the Father, the man, the human being, Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus Christ, a mortal, now sits at the right hand of God. He hasn't changed. This is where Jesus leaves. He tells the apostles, I am with you always to the end of the world. So we're celebrating the fact that God is with us, that Jesus not was just with us then, he's with us now. And this has very, very practical impact on our spiritual life. I'm going to suggest four things that I think change everything in our actual day-to-day spiritual life. And the first thing is this, and it's a big theme of the letter to the Hebrews, is Jesus actually understands. One of the hardest things I think all of us have in our lives, if we've lived any length of time, is we come to a place where something really, really difficult happens. There's a death. There's a bad diagnosis. Something really awful happens. And something magical happens at that moment that's hard to describe. People who've been there know. In a moment, you're in a different place. You're cut off from everyone else. They're there, and somehow you're here. Everything's changed. This is what our Lord experienced in the garden. Remember, in the garden, the disciples so wanted to be with him. Right? They were there. They wanted to be with him, but they kept falling asleep, which reminds us that as hard as they tried, they weren't in the same place. Jesus was in a different place. It's always that way. Certain parts of our lives we go to alone. Jesus understands all those aspects of our life. He lived a real human life. We overlook this. Uh, He had very humble circumstances, no special social prestige. Well, we might say, well, the birth is special because we had the the census and the like. But remember, when they have the offering at his birth, it's the poor people's offering. It's second best. It's, you know, the minimum amount that's allowed. He comes from Nazareth, a very nondescript place. People make fun of it. Remember with uh, Nathaniel, make, make fun of it. He was a carpenter. He had a job, not a profession. He had a regular job. He worked most of his life. 30 years out of his 33 years, he worked for a living, a regular job. No one really thought he was anything special. Remember, he comes back to the synagogue and said, who is this guy? We know him. We know his family. We know him. He lived a regular life. He also was, had friends but was misunderstood by them, even abandoned at times. He had enemies. He was betrayed by a very close friend. But also, when we talk about the pains, the, the most difficult things in life, Jesus actually knows. Think of the, the, the five critical things, of types of pain we have in our lives. Anxiety. When we know something that is going to happen, it's going to happen. Jesus, on the night before he died, it said he sweat blood. We know that was happening. Jesus knows that feeling. He's there in the garden. He knows what it means to have to live through those moments knowing it's not going to get better. He's been there. What about physical pain? Not metaphorical pain. The real thing, physical pain. Jesus was scourged at the pillar. It was designed, it was a torture designed to make people hurt, and the Romans were very good at what they did. It hurt a lot. What about humiliation? We think of the crown of thorns, we think of the whole crucifixion. 
Jesus died publicly a loser. And he took note. That was never clarified. Remember, afterwards, Jesus only appears to his resurrection to people who believe in him. Now, if I had been Jesus, I would have been in the temple the next morning saying, who's laughing now? But I wasn't. Okay. So Jesus, Jesus knows what it means to be humiliated in the things that are most sacred. What about the kind, you know, one of the things when we have pain, you know, you can sort of curl up with the pain to sort of make it feel better. Every mother here knows this feeling. What happens when you have pain? You don't have that luxury. When you have kids, they don't really care that you're sick. You have to go on anyway. This is Jesus carrying the cross. He knows what it means to have to plug on no matter what. And finally, most important, Jesus didn't have a near-death experience. He died and was buried. He actually died. He looked into the pit and died. So we have one there who really understands our experiences. And at a lonely moment, that's a very special person to have. But he didn't do just that. Everything Jesus touched, he changed. That's a constant theme of the Gospels. Remember, normally, if, if you get near a leper or touch a leper, you become unclean. When Jesus lepers, touches lepers, they become clean. It's the exact opposite. Everything Jesus touches changes. When other people are baptized, you know, the water symbolizes their sin being removed. When Jesus goes into the water, it symbolizes he's giving the powers to the water to remove sin. Everything he touches changes. Every circumstance he touches in our life has changed. We see this beautifully, for example, with the widow's, uh, the widow's coin, when we're told that she actually gave more than everyone else. You see, think of the Greeks. The Greeks famously in Aristotle said, you know, to be happy, makarios is the word happy, means in the sense everything went the way it should have. It's like dying in your old age, surrounded by your children, a happy, you know, happy death. That's happy. And that's why Aristotle said, you know, don't ever call somebody happy until they actually die. Because you don't know what the end of the story is until that time. Well, because of Jesus' experience in our lives, because he's experienced humanity, no matter where we are, every human being, everyone, no exceptions, has the same possibility of completely and fully, absolutely giving praise and glory to God. There are no failed lives. None at all. Every, despite any, in spite of every circumstance, in the worst circumstance, Jesus showed that on the cross. We can be closest to God and God sees it. In one of our canons, it's hard to pray. Frankly, it makes me cry when it says, we pray for the faith of those who is known to only you, to you alone. The faith who is known to you alone. Everyone is in an equal position to completely honor God and God sees. God knows. Another reason, the one who remains with us, is remember one of the reasons the Jews so loved Moses wasn't just because he gave the law. Moses did something much more special than that. Moses, they like to say, is the one who stood in the breach. Remember how God sort of starts over with creation with Noah? Creation goes downhill. God wipes it out except for Noah and begins again. God suggests the same plan to Moses, doesn't he? And Moses had every reason to share God's view of the people of Israel. Their anger and resentment and murmuring weren't against God alone. They were against Moses day in and day out. So God comes to Moses and says, look, I think we're both tired of these people, so to speak. Why don't I take and make of you this nation? Another Noah, make of you this nation. And what did Moses say? No. Moses stood in the breach. 
he did not want to be counted separate from Israel. This is the story with Jesus and us. This is the story of justification, what it means. You know, as you get older, trust me on the front lines, that one of the things that strikes you is for me, there are times like, have you ever seen those pictures in China of all those clay, like armies of soldiers they've dug up? It's like at one time I can see every stupid thing, everything I regret, everything I, every opportunity missed. I can see them in my life lined up there. And you feel like it's hopeless. And then I always see the cross. And there's a beautiful way. This is what Eucharist is all about. Let me tell you a story that means a lot to me to understand what Eucharist is. Years ago, when I was young and clueless, now I'm old and clueless, but when I was young and clueless, I was invited to a social event and a friend picked me up. And I noticed there was something scary in the back seat. It was a gift. I had no idea this was an event you'd bring a gift to. So I hoped maybe he was an overgifter. But as I came in to the event, I saw all the other gifts and realized I had alone apparently not picked up the clue. This is an embarrassing situation, but it didn't remain embarrassing long. With saying nothing to me, he went up, seeing my dilemma, he went up to the person and said, this is from Stephen and me. That's what Jesus does. This is from us. And this is what Eucharist is all about. It's even better. Instead of him presenting the gift saying, this is from Stephen and me, Jesus gives us the gift to present to the Father. That's why we say the gifts we offer, when we have by him and with him and in him, we're saying Jesus is given the perfect gift. He allows us to offer it for all of us to the Father. He allows us to give the gift that we didn't have, the perfect gift. That's what Eucharist is. And finally... Jesus bears our burdens, and I, again, it's Christmas, forgive me, a personal anecdote, an embarrassing one, but um, maybe you've had this experience, some of you. When I was a kid, it was a much different age, and uh, people weren't worried about the sensitivity of children in those days, and they would tell us all these grisly stories about the martyrs. I mean, really grisly, every detail of the martyrdom. It was pretty, pretty tough stuff. And I remember particularly the martyrs of Japan, and uh, truly this took things to a whole different level. It was really scary. And maybe one of the events was that, uh, why it was so particularly scary is, you know how later on in life they'll tell you to go to your, your special place, when it's really scary things, and um, my special place was my maternal grandmother's house. It's the most beautiful place in the world to me. It's my special place. And I was there, and I had a dream. And the dream is I was somehow, you know how dreams are crazy. I was with the martyrs of Japan, and they were coming, and these people were giving witness. They were doing horrible things, and they're coming for me. And I remember having that sense that, you know, I'm not going to make it. I wish I were like that. I really do from my heart. But that's not me. I'm going to deny. I know that. I don't want to, but I know that's going to happen. Well, I woke up like in a dream when you think you're going to die. And I was really I was young, and I was really scared. And I talked to all the adults and things, and they told me, no, no, it's a dream. And the wise old priest told me, no, you know, that's not... But it told me a profound truth that stayed with me for years in my Christian life and haunted it. We talk about being willing to give all for Jesus. But honestly, 
I always felt like a fraud. Because it's not that I didn't want to do that, but if it really meant losing my job or losing my life or losing our savings and things, I don't really think I could do it. I wish I were that person. I'm not. So there's an end to that story. God reaches into our lives years later. I was starting to have trouble seeing him when you're my age and things. This was a while back. As you just think you have to change your glasses. So I went to get my glasses changed, and I saw that look in the doctor, the not good look. If you get older, you'll know the look. And he told me that um, there's a real problem. And um, you don't need to hold the end of the story, but the problem was that my vision was being seriously compromised and something was happening. They don't know exactly what, but unless something were done, any of the vision I lost, I would lose forever and it could go on. We didn't know what was going on. This is about the scariest thing I could imagine. I'm a reader, it's what I love, it's giving me more joy than almost anything else. And, and they went through the process and they tried medicines and it took a while to really find out the diagnosis, but it was a scary place. And I remember, in all of this, coming to a point, we all have this in our lives, I came to a point where I, I heard God's voice, I'm sure of it, not in an audible sense, but I heard it was clearly saying, if I stayed with you, would that be okay? Would you be willing to lose your sight if I stayed with you? And this is why I want it's hard to explain to people. This wasn't an Abraham moment. This was the easiest yes of my life. Knowing God was there, nothing else honestly mattered. Sure, it was easy. And suddenly I remembered, you know, God often puts things in our lives from years before you don't, you don't even plan them. I had seen a cheesy Christian movie. I know they're all cheesy. Okay. Uh, but, you know, I, years and years and years before, a wonderful story, but it was about Corey Ten Boom, The Hiding Place. And I remember there was a scene I didn't get at the time. And the scene had, she asked her dad as a little girl. Her dad was much older. She was a, a child very, very late in life. And she asked him, are you ever afraid to die? And he said, well, when we go and visit your aunt, when do I give you the ticket? And she says, when I get on the train. And then the violins went on, and I wasn't really engaged, as you could probably tell. I didn't get and moved on. Who would have thought that decades later there it was, that I suddenly realized that's what grace looked like? The fact that I knew I couldn't do it, that's the point. In your weakness is my strength made manifest. Suddenly I realized... God would always be there. He wasn't there before that, but I could count on him. He could do things I could never do. I thought the Christian life was like preparing for a marathon. If you worked hard enough, maybe you won't win, but you'll make the 26 miles. You can prepare for it. That's not true. What we have to do with God, we will never, there's no way to get ready for this. But if we trust God, he will be there with the ticket. This is my witness. Many times I failed because I failed to ask for grace, but never once has grace not been there when I've asked for it? Not once. And sometimes grace, it's very humbling. It's like uh, grace can be where you, 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 what can I say? You, you don't even want to say, I don't, I don't want to feel forgiveness. It's like, give me the grace at least not to say no. It's like man who's saying, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And it's exactly in that moment when we've got nothing. We give the five loaves we have that suddenly everything's okay. 
That's what it means that Jesus is in our life. He carries the burden. That grace is always there when we need it. So we don't have to be discouraged saying, I'm not that kind of person. No, we aren't. Praise be to God. The real strength will always come from God who will always be there when we need him. Always. Jesus has been through it there. will always be there at exactly that moment with the grace that we need. So, in conclusion, the same Jesus who was born 2,000-plus years ago in Bethlehem is still with us today. He hasn't gone. He's here. I'm with you always to the end of the earth. It means we have someone who truly understands our lives. God is not an abstract concept. He's not philosophical. He's not a principle like gravity. It's a real personal God who understands, who's been to the place. Not conceptually. He's been there. He emotionally understands as a human being where we've been. He's changed it. He's made it possible no matter what we have happen in our lives. Every life is a success when given to him. That widow is able to give more than anyone else despite her poverty. More, not as much, more than anyone else. He stands in the breach for us when we're so aware of our weaknesses and sins. He's the one who says, he's okay, she's okay, they're with me. The one who gives the perfect gift of himself. And finally, he's the one who bears every burden, no matter where we are, no matter how weak we are, he'll always be with the grace to pull us through. That's the Jesus who's with us. That's Emmanuel. You know, that same Jesus came as a light into the dark of the hopeless world 2,000 years ago. And today he remains there ready to bring his life into the darkest corners of our life. And we all have those dark corners. That light is still ready this day to break into those corners. In Revelation it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Let us pray for the grace this Christmas to open the door to the one who's with us. Amen.